The, the kids do such a great job of singing out, right? And uh, man, out of, the, out of the mouth of babes, as they say. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. And um, I, I mentioned last week that this was going to be a very personal message, and it, it will be. This is not the exact message that I was planning to preach. Um, I have probably four or five messages that have just been swirling in my head, and, and uh, I think God's really burned it, burdened my heart about, and um, this, is, this is one of those. Um, just, you know, the, the, devil, the devil does everything he can to keep us from going on for the Lord, and um, he's going to try to, to, to stop us in any way that he can stop us. And he's going to try to get us discouraged. He's going to try to get us down. He's going to try to get us uh, to quit serving the Lord, to quit, to quit uh, serving him, at least with our whole heart anyway. If he can, if he can, if he can get uh, Christians to be just halfway Christians, then he's essentially won because God, God can't really use us if we're, if we're only going halfway for him, right? And, um, you know, if the devil can't make us quit altogether, he'll, 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 uh, he'll make us quit living all out for God, but I find so often that the devil does, and it's effective in a lot of, in a lot of lives and in a lot of ways, uh, but Psalm 46 is not a psalm that was written by David. Uh, David wrote only about half of the psalms. Of the 150, David wrote 75 of them. All the rest of them were written by others. Moses wrote some, um, this one, to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth, but it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah, come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth, he maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth, he breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder, he burneth the chariot in the fire, be still and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. That word Selah means think on these things. And I think it's a great passage to think on. But you know, life is filled with, with ups and downs. We certainly have a whole lot more ups than we do downs. We focus a lot more on the downs, it seems like. And so when we get discouraged or disappointed or whatever else, uh, but no one can live their life on the top of the mountain. Um, in fact, to keep growing, we need to go down into the valley sometimes to make it to the mountain that's higher than the one that we're on. Sometimes you have to go down in the valley, but sometimes we, we get into that, into that funk where we don't feel like praying. We don't feel like being spiritual. We don't feel like going on for God. And all we want to do is mope about the situation that, it, that we're in. Why does it feel so good to mope and feel sorry for ourselves? You've all been in that situation before where sometimes, you know what, it just feels good to mope around a little bit. It just feels good to feel sorry for yourself. We all get that way sometimes. 
Maybe you're in a, a mountaintop experience in your life right now, spiritually or just generally in your life. I can tell you that soon you're going to go through a valley. It's just the way that life is. Maybe you're in a valley right now. There's hope. And this morning, I want to give you three things that you can do when life gets rough. They're not the easiest things to do, but they're the best things to do. So I want to talk to you this morning about this idea, what to do when life gets rough, or in other words, what to do when you don't know what to do. We get into that situation a lot in our lives. I don't know what to do next. How do I get out of this rut? How do I get out of this funk? I, I, I don't like being here, but how do I get out? What to do when you don't know what to do? Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the privilege that we have of being here in your house this morning. I pray that you'd help it to not be in vain, that we wouldn't just come for the sake of coming, that we wouldn't just come to, to check it off our list and say that we were at church on Sunday. But God, I pray that you'd help us to have our hearts open. I pray that you'd help us to uh, be hungry to hear from the word of God and hungry to receive what it is the word of God has for us this morning. And God, I pray that you'd move in our hearts in a mighty way. Well, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing to do when you don't know what to do is pray hard. Pray hard. I'm a Christian, but sometimes praying is hard. Sometimes it feels more like a chore. Well, the Bible says I have to pray, so I guess I will. And you get down on your knees at night, or you get down on your knees in the morning, or you pray before a meal. You don't feel like doing it. You say, you know, you're a pastor. You're not supposed to have times when you don't want to pray. You're supposed to want to pray every minute of the day. And prayer is very important to me, but there are times in my life, I'm a human just like you are, and there are times in my life when I just don't feel like praying. When we get into that spiritual rut where, where we just don't feel like praying, and it's then that I most need to pray. Someone said, pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. Prayer is not a discipline of feelings. Prayer is a discipline of faith. God tells me to do it. God tells me that that's what I need to do, and that's, what I, that's how I need to, to get out of these situations. So I'm just going to do it, not because it's an emotion. Well, I feel like praying today, so I'm going to get out on my knees and pray. No, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a discipline of faith. Your first prayer should be the prayer of salvation. If God's not your father, then he cannot even hear your prayers. Have you ever seen a kid get hurt on a playground? And they start wailing. There's 30 kids running around in the playground, and one kid falls and starts wailing. Guess who jumps up first? The mother of that child, because they recognize that cry, and they know that it's their child without even having seen what happened or seen who it is that's laying on the ground. Now, there's probably a couple other mothers that jump up and say, ooh, whose, whose kid is that? It's not mine, but I'm going to help out, right? But God's the same way with us. He hears the cries of his child. And yes, God created all of us, but there's so many... People in this world that say, oh, we're all children of God. No, we're not all children of God. We're all created by God, but only those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior are children of God. Amen. The Bible talks about the fact in John chapter 8 and verse 44, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. So we're not all children of God. There are some who are children of the devil as well. When you get saved, you become a child of God. And when you become a child of God, he's listening for your cry. If you're not a child of God, then he can't hear that cry. He can't hear your prayer. The only prayer that God will hear from a child of the devil is the cry of prayer for salvation. The only cry that God hears from somebody who is not his child is them calling out to him, please save me, right? Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, 
thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth confession is, sorry, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. That the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God hears that prayer. God hears that prayer of faith. That doesn't have anything to do with me paying my way to heaven, working my way to heaven. I can't do any of those things. I could never have enough money to, to, to pay my way in. I could never do enough good works to work my way in. The only way in is through the prayer of faith. It has everything to do with God giving me a gift that I don't deserve. And that's what the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is. It was a death to pay for my sins. Somebody had to pay. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm so thankful that he saved me when I didn't deserve it. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, don't wait. Get that settled. Get that taken care of. You're always going to feel like you're in a spiritual rut when you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you're going to do everything you can to try to get out. And you might even be praying and you might even be asking God to help you get out of it. But I can tell you this, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling because God cannot hear the prayer of an unrepentant sinner, unless it's a prayer of faith asking for salvation. But for those who are saved, it would be great if prayer was always natural and simple and desired and enjoyed, like talking to your spouse or your children or, or, or your best friend. With them, we can hardly wait for that connection that that relationship produces. We, have, we hate to cut it off, but if we're honest, that desired relationship is not always a description of our prayer life. We know we need it to be, and in a lot of cases, I think we want it to be. We know that's what's commanded, but sometimes we just find it hard to pray. There could be a thousand reasons why God's not working in the way that we want him to work, why God's not working in the timing that we're expecting him to work in, and we have for him to, we want him to work in our lives, and just sometimes God just doesn't seem like he is. Not that he's not, it just seems that way sometimes. But many times we stand in this life under burdens, we stand under disappointments, we stand under failures and weaknesses and sin and deception and misunderstanding. And when all those things pile up, sometimes we can feel smothered by those things, sometimes to the point that it affects our thinking. Often we allow culture to affect our thinking far too much. We've been conditioned for instant gratification. We have to have it now. You know, you'll order something on Amazon, and, and if it's not one-day shipping, you're saying, what's wrong with this product? You know, why is it not here overnight, right? I, um, I, I, was, I, I was watching somebody that was doing a little video on, uh, on uh, like, product selling or whatever, and I can't even remember what it was for, but they said, you can't, if you have a business that, that you do regular shipping, and it's something takes four or five days to get there, people don't want that anymore. They will go to another website and find something that's selling it where they can get it shipped overnight or two days. So if you, want, if you want to make a sale, then you better offer shipping that does overnight or the next day. That's that instant gratification that we've been accustomed to, right? It, you don't have to go to the library anymore and pull out an encyclopedia and look up something if you want some information. All you got to do is, I, I was getting ready to say type it into your phone, but all you got to do is talk it into your phone anymore, right? Just tell them what you want to know, and they'll pop it up and give you all that information. We're so used to having that instant gratification that sometimes when God doesn't answer my prayer right now, then I'm saying, why is God not moving? Where is God? How come he's not listening to me? What's God's problem? We do that so often. We've not learned the discipline of waiting, of being still, of being quiet long enough to see his hand moving and to hear his sweet voice. 
because we haven't listened. We're distracted by so many things. We give ourselves to so many activities that in essence that have nothing to do with eternity. We allow sin to creep in our lives to the point that God and his presence end up seeming so far away that he's of no help to us. We have scriptures like Psalm 46 and verse number one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We read those words on the pages of the word of God, but because we don't feel what it says, we're resolved to continue living the way that we are. It's just too hard to pray. We have a hundred other things that keep us from uh, that, that, that keep us from taking that time to really get down on our knees. We have a hundred other things that we do to try to keep ourselves from falling apart when what we need to do is just pray. When life knocks you to your knees, you're in a perfect position to pray. God doesn't move in your life when you struggle. He moves in your life when you pray. And I think that sometimes, I think that sometimes God allows us to hit rock bottom so that we can realize that he is the rock at the bottom. We get so focused on so many other things and so dependent on so many other things in our life that we forget where everything comes from. We forget what the foundation is. We forget who the foundation is. And sometimes I do think God lets us get to the bottom of, of, of the, the well, so to speak, so that we can realize that's where we need to be. He's there. He's in those deepest, darkest hours I have a lot of things in my life that are a challenge right now. There's a lot of things that, that, are, that are difficult that most people will never know anything about. And there are times when I just, when I get into the car by myself and there's nothing else that I can do other than just pour my heart out to God. Why else would I try to go anywhere else? Nobody else can solve the problems for me. Nobody else can do the things that need to be done. God can, though. And sometimes I think that's what he's just waiting for us to do before he moves. He's not just going to move because we feel sad. He's not just going to move because we're discouraged. He's not just going to move because we're disappointed. No, God, has, God, God feels for his children. It's not that he doesn't care about us, but he's not going to do it just because we're in that slump, just because we're feeling sorry for ourselves, just because we're going through a difficult time. He moves when we pour our heart out to him and say, God, I don't have anywhere else to turn. I need you. And just pray and pray and pray and pray. Well, I don't feel like praying. Hey, I already said it before. Prayer is not a discipline of emotions. It's a discipline of faith. I just believe that God can answer these requests. I just believe that God can and will do something. And I don't have anything else that I can turn to other than God. So I'm just going to pray. One of the reasons we get into times when we don't feel like praying is because we're praying all wrong. The reason we pray is to get to know God. That's why we pray. It's to have that fellowship with him. It's to read his word and hear what he has to say to us and then talk back to him through that praying. Think about the things that you pray for. It might bring you to an ugly truth. We pray a whole lot for the things that we want. Praying for yourself is fine if it's in the correct context, but we, often we don't. We pray for things to go our way. We pray for things to make us happy. We pray to have the desires of our hearts. If the purpose of prayer is to get to know God, how important is getting to know God to you? Well, I don't feel like praying because I'm not getting the things that I ask for anyway. I've prayed for this thing 500 times and God never gave it to me. God never answered because you're praying the wrong way. Are you praying 
to have fellowship with him? Are you praying to get to know him? Or are you are praying because he can give you things that you want? Right? I've heard that many times from, from rich people. Most uh, people who are multimillionaires don't have a lot of friends because they don't trust anybody. The only reason that person is my friend is because of what they can get out of me. Right? They're, they're going to befriend me because I can give something to them. When they need to be bailed out, I can help bail them out with money. And so they don't have a lot of close friends. And I think sometimes we treat God the same way. Hey, I can be friends with God because he's got all of this at his disposal. I'm going to pray. But we're not praying to get to know God. We're praying because we can get things from him. And he is, the, he, is the, he is the owner of all the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the entire universe, not just the world. He does have everything at his disposal. And he does want, to bring our, want us to bring our needs to him when we have a need. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things. But what is the majority of your praying? God, give me this. God, do that for me. God, give, give, give me this thing. God, do that thing. God, help me with this. Right? And again, God wants to hear those concerns. But how about God? Help me to know you. Help me to have the relationship with you that you want to have with me. Help me to have the wisdom of God. Help me to have the fear of God. Help me to, to, to be a witness for you. Help me to pray. That's the kind of relationship that we ought to have with God. When it comes down to it, the way to get out of the spiritual funk is to just pray. I know you have times when you don't feel like praying, but just pray. I know sin has blinded and deceived us sometimes, but pray. I know you can't always see what God is doing, but pray. I know life has disappointments, but pray. I know you're hurting, but pray. I know you can be tired and that you can fail, but pray. Just pray. That's what God expects from us. My wife's favorite character from history is Abraham Lincoln. Did I say favorite? I meant least favorite. But, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln said a lot of things that I'm not sure he actually said. Right? I have a picture of Abraham Lincoln standing in front of, it's obviously standing in front of a mirror, and he's holding the phone in his hand, and the caption underneath it says, uh, this is a picture of, that Abraham Lincoln took on his iPhone, and please don't say this is Photoshop. Photoshop didn't exist back then. Right? Abraham Lincoln's also credited with saying, don't believe everything you read on the internet. So I guess you can't believe everything you read on the internet. But Abraham Lincoln is quoted as saying this, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. And I think that's great. We ought to be driven to the, the, to the fact that we have nowhere else to go. But honestly, that we're, that's where we ought to go first. So many people see prayer as a last resort. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, we've done everything we can. Now the only thing we can do is pray, right? That's the wrong mindset. They said, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Now we'll look at the options that we have with the doctors, or now we'll look at the options that we have with the financiers or whoever, right? Well, I've done everything I can do. Now all I can do is pray. No, that ought to be our first thing that we do, especially in times when things are difficult. Turn over to Jeremiah 33. The Bible is full of promises in prayer. And I know some of these you know already, but I want you to see them again. Don't wait until you feel like praying to pray. When you get into that spiritual rut and you're waiting to feel like praying to pray, then you will never pray. And that's why people honestly end up leaving church, why they end up leaving Christianity, so to speak, why they end up giving up on God and the things of God, because they waited to feel Waited to pray until they felt like praying. And when you're in that spiritual rut, you don't feel like praying. And it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. 
Pray when you don't feel like praying. Start by telling the Lord that you love him. Tell him that you don't really feel like praying and that you need him to help you pray. Share your heart with the God who loves you and is listening. Exercise your will over your emotion. Choose against yourself. I don't feel like praying, but I'm going to do it anyway. Jeremiah 33 and verse number 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Pray when you don't feel like it. Often the feelings will follow, but always allow the Lord to lead. He'll help you pray. Because I can promise you this. In fact, turn over to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. When you don't feel like praying and you start praying, and you start having that fellowship with God, that genuine fellowship with God, often the feelings will follow, and you say, you know what, man, I need to pray more. I need to get back with God again. Those feelings will follow, but many times there are no feelings there when you don't feel like praying, other than just that you don't feel like doing it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, I think is made, this, this verse is made for people who are in that exact situation. Likewise, Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what you want to hear. I don't know which way to turn, but here I am. I'm, in, I'm on my knees in prayer. God, speak for me. I don't even know what I should be praying for. And sometimes we get into that situation where, God, I, I would pray for this, but I don't even know if that's what you want me to pray for or not. I would beg you for this, but I don't even know if this is what I should be praying for, so I don't know if I should beg you for it or not. Tell me what I should pray for. Tell me what I need to be asking you for. And the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It can't even be put into words. But God knows our hearts. God knows our feelings. God knows the deepest, darkest, innermost parts of what we're going through. And he'll help us to get out of that rut. You don't have to impress God or anyone else with your prayers. You just have to come into his presence. And he'll meet you there. I know that times occur when you don't want to pray, but pray anyway. Think with me. Although you might find it hard to pray, it makes no sense not to pray to the only one who can help you Get out of the situation that you're in. When it's hard to pray, just pray. Get down on your knees. Humble yourself before God and pray. Turn over to Psalm chapter 7. When things are rough and you don't know what to do, pray hard. But number two, praise God. Though we might be going through a difficult time, there are still so many things to praise God for. The Bible's filled with verses of praise and telling us to praise God, especially there in the Psalms. In fact, there are 19 verses in Psalms alone that use the phrase, I will praise. David only wrote half of the Psalms, like I said, but many of the other Psalms were written by those who were going through difficult times as well. Some, when they were on the mountaintop, and they were, they were excited, and they were, they were rejoicing in what God had done, but many were written when they were going through difficult times. And you know what they said? God, give me a heart to praise. God, change my mind. No, they said, I will praise. I will praise. Psalm 7, verse 17. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Turn, turn to a couple of these passages with me if you can there in Psalms. Psalm 52. Psalm 52. 
Verse number 9. Think about these reasons that are being given here in the Psalms for why they're going to praise and why we should praise. Psalm 52 and verse 9. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. Psalm 69. Psalm 69 and verse number 30. Psalm 69, 30. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 118. Psalm 118. There's actually a couple in that passage. Psalm 118 and verse 21. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. Psalm 118 and verse 28. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. One last verse there in Psalm 139. Psalm 139. I will praise thee, verse number 14. Psalm 139, verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. He says in Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 1, you don't need to turn there unless you want to. O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Praise him for pulling you through a mess. Praise him for waking you up this morning. Praise him for giving you another day of life. Praise him for giving you a purpose. You're going through a difficult, rough time? Turn on some good, godly music and just praise God. It's hard to stay mad at God. It's hard to stay discouraged. It's hard to stay in that disappointment when you're listening to songs about the salvation that God's given us, when you're listening to songs about the goodness of God. It's hard to stay in that spot. And sometimes we want to. And we like to wallow in that, in that mire of that disappointment. We like to wallow in that muck of, of discouragement. And we don't want to get out of it. And so we're not going to listen to songs. We're not going to think of things that God has done for us that we can praise him for. But I'm telling you, when you don't know what to do, praise God. Start listing the things that he's done for you. Praise is a powerful thing. And sometimes when prayer is hard and you just don't have to, the words to say, worship songs have this tendency to speak the words that you could never have spoken, uh, never get your tongue to speak. And it can bring you to your knees in awe of everything that God did and is doing in your life. S sing songs like, our God is victorious. He always wins. How can you sing a song like that and not be, and not be moved to thank God for what he does in your life? He's been the greatest friend I've ever known. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. How can you sing songs like that and not be thankful for what God's done for you? You get in a point where you don't know what to do, put on a couple of those songs. Listen to some of those songs. Pull out a hymn book and sing through some of those hymns. I can promise you that it won't be long that you're in that mire of disappointment, that you're in that muck of discouragement because you'll come right out of it when you start to look at what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Hallelujah. I can't stay disappointed long when I start singing songs like that. Our God is victorious. He always wins. Boy, we know that at the end of all of this, and we're going to go through difficult times, the, the, all that are godly and, and all that live for Christ Jesus, the Bible says, shall suffer persecution. Not might. Shall suffer persecution. Hey, we're going to go through difficult times. But you know what? 
I don't remember who said it. I think they had actually turned it into a song. I've read the back of the book, and we win. We win. We, we might lose a battle now and then. We might go through difficulties now and then. We might get cut up and hurt now and then, but we win the war. If you're on the side of Jesus Christ, then you've won the war. And boy, how can you stay discouraged when you think about that? There aren't many things that will get you through a difficult time, like taking time to stop and praise God. Turn over to Job chapter 1. I want you to consider the example that we have of Job. And I know for the most part you know his story. There's not many people who can say they went through what Job went through. In one day he lost his house. He lost everything that he owned. And of course, back then a lot of that was, you know, a lot of their possessions was, was based on the cattle and the sheep and the goats and all of those things that they owned. And Job uh, was the richest man by far in that area. And maybe in the, in the whole world at that time, I don't know for sure. But in one day, he lost all of that. He lost all of his servants, but a couple of the ones that ran up and said, hey, everything that you have is gone. Lost all of his kids. They were all in the same house together when the house collapsed and fell on them and killed all of his, his family. And Job was left there with his wife, his body, and a couple servants. And that's it. And even his wife told him, why don't you just curse God and die? It'd be a whole lot better for you to just curse God and die. And there's Job sitting there with boils from his top of his head to the bottom of his feet, scraping those boils with, with probably a sharp piece of pottery, having had everything and now having nothing. But let's look at the response in Job chapter 1 and verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. If anybody had a right to blame God for the situation that he was in. If anybody had a right to curse the name of God for the situation that he was in, and I'm not saying that we should do that, but if anybody had a right to do it, it would have been Job in that situation. I can guarantee you that Job did not feel like praying. Job did not feel like praising God because, oh, thank you, you just killed all my children. Thank you, you just took away everything that I had. But Job praised God anyway. He fell down on his face before God, and his mindset was exactly what it should be. I didn't have anything when I came here. So if I leave with nothing, I haven't lost anything. I didn't have anything when I got here either. I didn't even have clothes. I didn't have anything. Everything that I have, God gave me. The Lord giveth, and the Lord took it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Boy, if we had a mindset like that. Look at Job 19. Even, even to the death and even to eternity, Job had the response that we ought to all have when we come into these difficult things. Job chapter 19 and verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Somebody took the story of Job and put it into a song. As the sun rose that morning on the day of Job's trials, he rose up to serve God as any other day, bound and determined to live in God's favor, and nothing would stand in his way. 
But then the messengers came one by one with their story. In just a few moments, Job lost all he had. Great wealth and riches, the health of his body, and even his children were dead. The chorus says, the Lord giveth, he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I served him before and I'll serve him today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then his wife came before him to voice her opinion. She said, you should end this, just curse God and die. But Job rose from the ashes. He looked toward the heavens. He brushed back the tears in his eyes and he said, the Lord giveth, he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I served him before and I'll serve him today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When troubles come suddenly, blessed be the name. When strong winds blow violently, blessed be the name. When Satan comes oppressing me, blessed be the name. I'll still serve God faithfully, blessed be the name. The Lord giveth, he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I served him before and I'll serve him today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a response. What a response. When you get into a place where you don't know what to do, just pray. Pray hard. Praise God. And lastly, turn over to Philippians chapter 3. We're coming to a close. And I'm just going to touch on this point. Number three is this. Press on. Press on. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 13 says this. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There is no magical formula for getting you out of a rough patch in your life. Sometimes you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Sometimes you just have to keep reading your Bible when you don't feel like reading it. Sometimes you have to just keep praying when you don't feel like praying. Don't pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. Job said in chapter 23 and verse number 10, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That's the, that's the mindset that we ought to have. Hey, you know what? I'm going through the fire right now, but I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other because the fire can only last so long. And eventually I'm going to come out on the other side. And if God accomplishes his purpose through that trial, then when I come out, I'm going to come out as gold. Hey, we're all, as children of God, we all are gold tarnished because we have sin in our lives and everything else. And sometimes when God puts us through that fire, he's just trying to take that dross off. He's trying to purify us and make us into something that is so much more valuable than we were before we went in. But sometimes all we can do is just keep walking, keep taking one more step, keep pressing forward, keep going through it. God has a plan for every single trial that you go through. See, the, the, the devil has a desire for you and every spiritual slump that you get into as well. He doesn't want you to get out of it. If he can keep you in that spiritual slump, then he's got you exactly where he wants you. Don't you think that God wants you to get out? I haven't run a marathon in a while, but I've done several of them. I've done several 10-milers, several half marathons, 10Ks, more 5Ks than I can count. And in every one of those races that I've run, not, not every one of those races, in fact, hardly any of those races were a breeze. I, I didn't run to just make it to the finish line. And I know some people do that. And, and honestly, my first marathon, that's what it was. I was just trying to get to the finish line. I didn't care what my time was. I just wanted to finish. And after that, then you set more goals and you have a certain time that you want to get done by, especially when I ran the, a lot of 10Ks and 5Ks and things. I had, 
I had times that I wanted to finish by. And most of the time, even though you're racing against everybody else around you, I was racing against myself. I wanted to beat my best time. Most of those races were not a breeze. And I'll tell you, a lot of times I started out a little bit too fast because I was looking at everybody else around me. But a lot of times when I'm running through those races, and I can say, especially when I did some of those marathons, why in the world am I even out here? This is stupid. Why did I put myself through this? You know what? I'm done. I'm done. If I dropped out right now, then I could chalk it up to a practice run. Nobody's going to fault me for it. I've already finished a couple marathons. I don't need to finish another marathon. But you know what? I'm done. Even some of the shorter races, even some of the 10-milers 10, 10 and the 10Ks and things, you get halfway through that race and you're just saying, this is ridiculous. You know what? There's a whole group of probably 10 or 15,000 people behind me that are walking this race. That would be a whole lot easier. In fact, you know what? I think I might just do that. But, you know, in, in, in every one of those races, I never stop to walk a race because it's just a mindset and you start fighting yourself in your own head. And all you got to say is, you know what? Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep putting fo one foot in front of the other. And you know what starts to happen? You start to get to those point where you see those little indications that the race is getting close to the end. You start passing mile five and mile six, and now you know you don't have much left in that race. And then you can see the finish line, and it's, it's there in front of you, and all the, more and more people are starting to line the sides of the, of, of the road where the, the race is starting to finish, and you get a little bit more uh, energy. You catch your second wind. You know, had you quit in the middle of that race, you wouldn't know what it's like to feel the exhilaration of finishing. Had I dropped out and just decided, you know what, I'm going to walk for a while, I would have gotten to the end of that race, but I wouldn't have been anywhere close to the time that I wanted to get. I would have been happy. I would have been disappointed. I would have felt like all the training and everything else was for nothing because, you know what, it was a little bit uncomfortable during the middle of that race. And I'm telling you, that's the way that it is many times in our Christian life. This Christian life is a race. And Paul even alludes to that in, in the verse that we just read there in Philippians. Pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God just expects us to just keep pressing on. Just keep going forward. You know what? We're getting to the point where we can kind of start to see the finish line here. Jesus Christ could come back today and nobody would be surprised. We're getting to the point where we can start to see that maybe this is worth it. Maybe we do just need to keep going for the cause of Jesus Christ. You might be in a slump now. You might be feeling really bad. You might be feeling like quitting. You might be feeling like giving up. But just press on. You're going to catch your second wind. You're in a valley now, but if you just keep pressing on, you're going to climb higher and higher, and eventually you'll be on that mountaintop. And it'll be a higher mountaintop than you've been before, and then you'll see another one, and you'll go down in a valley. But then you'll come back up, and you'll be on another mountaintop that was higher than the one that you just came from. And you look back and you see where God brought you from and you see what he brought you out of and you see what he brought you through. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Just keep pressing on. Just keep going forward. Just keep moving your feet. Just keep doing what you know to be the right thing to do. Just keep reading your Bible. Just keep praying. Just keep coming to church. Just keep telling other people about Jesus. And you know what's going to happen? Eventually, you're going to come out of that thing on the other side. It would be wonderful if life was always easy. It would be great if we never had to struggle physically or spiritually. The facts of life are the facts of life. Things are not always going to be easy. In fact, as Christians, there many times they're not going to be.
We're not always going to feel like going on. We're not always going to feel like being right with God. Pray anyway. Pray anyway. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then do that today. You don't know when the last breath you're going to draw on this earth will be. But you cannot even begin your spiritual journey until God is your Father and Jesus is your personal Savior. But for those who are saved, just pray. 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 Just get on your knees before God and pour your heart out to Him. And praise God. Start listening to the, th listing the things that He's done for you and praise Him for it. And it'll be hard to stay away from spiritual victories. And press on. Just keep going. It'll get better. You'll catch your second wind. You'll start to see the signs of the finish line, and you can finish well. That's certainly what God wants for each of us here this morning. What do you do when you don't know what to do? I can't give you all the answers, because I don't know all the answers, but I can tell you a place to start. Pray hard. Praise God. And press on. That'll move us out of that slump. And hopefully get us moving in the right direction where we get excited again about the things of God, where we get excited again about serving Him, where we get excited again about pleasing Him, where we get excited again about praying, where we get excited again and, and start praising God. But you just got to do it. Pray hard. Praise God. And press on. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for these truths that we have from the Word of God. I know that as a church, I believe we're going through some spiritual battles right now. A lot of things that the devil is trying to, to do to keep us from being what you want this church to be. And God, I believe that, that all of the people and all of the churches that you want to use are going to have the devil fighting against them. The devil wants us to get discouraged. The devil wants us to get disappointed. The devil wants us to quit. By God's grace, I pray that you'd help us to just keep moving forward for you. I pray that you'd help us as a church to, to, to go forward and to accomplish everything that you have for this church to accomplish in this community. I pray that there would not be one thing that we miss out on because we're not in the place that you need us to be. And God, the church is made up of people. And so I pray that there would not be one person in this room this morning that number one does not know you as their savior but number two does not accomplish everything in their lives that from before they were born you laid out for them to accomplish i pray that you give us a desire to live for you desire to please you god i know there's a lot of people in this room this morning that are going through discouragement a lot of people that are going through disappointment a lot of people that are going through hard times and maybe there's People in this room this morning that feel like they're in a rut spiritually. Pray that you give them the boldness and the courage to just keep going forward, to just pray, to just list a few of the things, just a few of the things that you've done in their own lives, in our church, in the lives of their family. Boy, that you give us that, that desire to just keep going on for you. Well, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand.